Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. talking to you this week about temptation and you're thinking temptation what an odd thing to talk about in September end of August 1st of September why temptation now well think about it what's happening right now what's happened in the last couple of weeks the kids are going back to school summer's winding down not only is the, are the kids going back to school and summer's winding down but vacation season is coming to an end so we're, we're seeing more and more people back in church. They've had this summer to kind of slow down, maybe miss a few Sundays, maybe go fishing instead. That's not, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm just saying the temptation will be to stay disengaged. This is the time to re-engage if you've disengaged over the summer. Also, the kids are going back to school. They're, promo they're promoting up into new grades. Some of them are going from from kindergarten to first grade. Some of them are going from junior high to senior high. Some are going off to college. There's a lot of upheaval right now. There's a lot of change in people's lives right now. Just think of all the new experiences that these kids are having. They're going from junior high to senior high. What do you think happens to the temptation level between junior high and senior high? I think it's magnitudes, order of magnitude worse. In, in senior high than it is in junior high, although junior high is not a safe haven anymore either. But even the, even the young kids that are going from, from kindergarten into first grade, from third grade into fourth grade, the, the, more, the older they get, the more temptations are laid in their path by, by Satan. So there's a lot of new experiences that are happening. Some of our kids that we graduated, Aaron and Darnell and those guys that graduated this year, they're going off to college. And they're going to be faced with a world that they are probably not prepared for. Some of, them, some of our kids are going off to the military, and some of them recently have. They're entering an environment that they are not prepared for. Temptations that they never knew existed are going to be laid in their path. So that's why I'm talking about temptation now. This is the time to steel ourselves against all these new experiences that you may not have been prepared for. So that's it. This is why I'm, pe I'm preaching today on temptation because of, the, of what's happening in the lives of not only your young kids, but their parents as well. All right. I'm reading from Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And you'll recognize this scripture. The scripture's been preached from many, 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 many times. And this is something that I'm sure that if you've read your Bible at all, you've read Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. The reason I chose Luke is because Luke, being Luke, gives us the most detailed picture of what happened in this time, this time in Christ's ministry. Now, to set the stage a little bit, Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were all evident in that event. Jesus was baptized by John as he came up from the water the heavens spoke, and God the Father said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. And something like a dove, the Holy Spirit, 
came down from heaven and alighted on him. It was the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all visible and manifest at the same time. Right after that event is where we start, we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Then Jesus returned from the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those, those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, Are you the Son of God? Tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live by bread alone. So he took, he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a, mon, in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it was given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord our God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem and had, had him, Jesus, stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, do not test your Lord. Do not test the Lord your God. After that, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed him for a while, for a time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the day you've given us and this this place you've given us to meet. We thank you for the people that that you've moved in their hearts and you filled them with the spirit of joy and brought them to this place to worship and to hear your word spoken. We ask, Lord, for your blessing on the reading of the word this morning and the, the glory and the graciousness that your word brings. We thank you for all you've done. We ask that you be with us and guide us today, that you open my mouth to speak your words, and that all that I say today brings glory to you, and that this lesson will lodge in the hearts of your people and bring them in a closer understanding of you, your sacrifice, and your deliverance. We ask these in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right, so we're talking about temptation. The first thing I think we need to do any time we broach a subject is we need to define it. What are we talking about when we say, we say temptation? Well, I, the best way to approach that is we can talk about what temptation is, but we also need to talk about what temptation is not. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as a born-again Christ, Christ follower, you're never going to have any trouble in your life. You're never going to have anything that causes you to stumble. Everything's going to be great and rosy. Wrong. In fact, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're bringing upon yourself trials, tribulations, and burdens. You are called to carry your cross every day. You're called to die to yourself and become more like Christ. You will, will suffer for the sake of the cross. You will be persecuted. It's not you may, you will. It's not going to be a bed of roses. It's not going to be a, a walk in the park to be a Christ follower and to do all that we're called to do in the name of Jesus Christ. Just aligning yourself with Christ makes you a target at work, at home, in the world. Letting people know you're a Christian, especially now, may affect your taxes. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that a lot? 
it's not an easy thing to be a Christian. Things are going to come up. When you're going through that bad time, when things are not going your way, and everything isn't exactly as you hoped it would be, you need to ask yourself a couple of questions. I've got this trouble. I've got this burden. This thing is in my life. What is it? How do I define it? Who's responsible for it? And how do I get out of it? Right? Those are the things that you're asking yourself. Well, there's three types of troubles, I call it, that can descend on children of God. The first is dis discipline and judgment and rebuke. Now, what does that mean? As we're, as we're, we're children of God, we're going to face discipline? Absolutely. Just as your children should face discipline when they do what is wrong, when they break the rules, when they're outside of the will of the parents, children of God will be disciplined in the same way. If you're outside of the will of God, you could suffer discipline. Now, God is long-suffering, and he doesn't give us nearly all the discipline we deserve, does he? But there are times in your life when things are going wrong or things are going badly for you. You need to ask yourself, what is this? Is it discipline? Am I outside of the will of God? The scripture is full of examples of godly discipline. When men and women got outside of the will of God and God brought them back lovingly but with discipline. So it may be discipline. It may be judgment brought by God. It may be conduct. He may be judging you for something you have done, some sin that's un unconfessed, that's living in your life. It, the scripture talks about us that many are sick and some have fallen asleep. These are brothers and sisters that have been judged and disciplined because of their unbelief. Because they're not following in the ways of the scripture. Because they're not praying. So God can call down judgment on his people. And he does. Could be rebuke. It could be being called aside by a brother or sister in Christ. Now, that's one of the things that we find difficult as Christians to do. Is hold each other accountable, isn't it? We often say, well, you know, that's, that's between them and God. I know they're living in sin, but, you know, I'm just not going to confront them. It's not optional, people. It's not optional. If you're walking in Christ and you're a mature brother and sister, it is your duty to point out the, your brothers and sisters when they fall, the ways they are falling, the ways they are bringing discredit upon themselves, the church, and more importantly, to Jesus Christ himself. It is your duty. Now, that doesn't give you license to, to, to be on the guard and be the sin monitor and say, oh, ooh, okay, there's one. Let me go get it. It's to be done with love and gentleness and with prayer. And there's, there's, there's a mechanism, which I won't go, you know, there's a mechanism to do this. You're to confront them with love. And if that doesn't, if that's not effective, then you bring one or two witnesses and you confront them. And if that's not effective, there's a plan laid out by Scripture in Matthew on how to deal with the wayward brother or sister. But it's your duty to lovingly point out to your brothers and sisters where they're going astray. 
And that comes, the ability to do that comes from God. So when things are not going particularly well for you, is it discipline? Is it God's judgment? Is there something you need to, to confess to? Is there sin in your life that you need to purge? Those all come from God. They're there to build you and to correct you and to train you and how to be more like, more like Jesus Christ. But what about tests? What about trials? What about persecutions? What about suffering? When there's suffering in your life, do you ask yourself, am I being punished for something? Is there discipline? Is this judgment that brought this suffering on? Or is this something that God is using to hone my character? God uses tests and trials and persecutions and suffering to grow us. He uses those things to chip away those pieces of our hearts that we haven't fully committed to him. Those, those places, those doors that we've kept closed. He uses trials and suffering to tear away all of our pride so that he can have access to those secret point, places in our heart that we've walled off. I'm willing to let Christ and the Holy Spirit indwell in my heart up to here, but I claim this spot. This is mine. Well, God might use something you might use some kind of trial, might use suffering to open that door and whittle that down and shape you. It's like sandpaper. It might be making you more beautiful, but it hurts. It's like surgery. It's doing an ultimate good, but it's not fun at the time. It can be very painful. But it's brought by God for your ultimate good to shape you into what he wants you to be and make you the man or woman that he needs because he's got a mission for your life. And if you're not the right shape for that mission, he'll whittle you down until you are. And he sometimes and often uses trials and tests and persecutions and various kinds of sufferings to shape you into that shape that he needs to carry out your mission for his glory and his kingdom. Now you think about it, and, and you hear this often from the secular world, that if there's really a God, why does he allow suffering? I mean, you tell me that God loves me, but he allows me to suffer. I, I can't reconcile those two. Why are there starving children if there's a God? Why are there hurricanes? I don't know why every time there's a hurricane, God gets blamed for it. Why are there hurricanes? Why are there tornadoes? I remember after the, the tornadoes in Oklahoma, big banner headlines, there, can't, there is no God. How would God allow that to happen? As little as we like to think about this, trials and tests and persecutions and suffering are not always just allowed by God. Sometimes they are instigated by God. Many times God removes his hand of protection on, on you and lets a little affliction creep into your life to prove a point. If you read the book of Job... You'll see all that Job went through, and God used that to build Job into the man Job needed to be. And you say, how can a loving God do that? Because he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And if he has to do a little surgery to make you better, he'll do it. To build you into what you should be. He loves you too much to leave you in that broken state. He loves you too much to leave you ill. The great physician will heal you. He allows these things to happen to bring you closer to him. So discipline and judgment and rebuke, tests and trials and persecutions and suffering, those are all allowed by God. 
But there's one more thing that could be going on in your life. There could be temptations. There could be attacks by Satan. There could be demonic influence that is affecting your life. Now think about it. Sitting in this room right now, we're doing battle with the forces of evil. Every one of us is a foot soldier in the army of God. There is a spiritual battle going on around us as we speak, and we can't see it. And if we could see it, it would scare us to death. But there's a war going on, and that war is going on for our souls. These are not allowed by God, these temptations and attacks by Satan. In fact, God has given us the ability to overcome them, which I'll talk about. He's given us the strength to resist these. He's given us the armor and the weapons we need. So I don't think temptations and demonic influence on our lives is necessarily allowed by God. What is allowed by God for us in that situation is free will. So I don't think, unbeknownst to us, temptations are allowed to creep into our lives. I don't think God places temptations in our path. He tests us to build up our strength. He disciplines us to improve our character. And he rebukes us to improve our witness. Trials and tests and persecutions come and that's normal. All of those are allowed by God to make us better and stronger and more dependent on him. The reason he does that is because God is setting us up to win. But temptation, on the other hand, is from the devil. And the devil is setting us up to fail. And we have to learn to recognize the difference. In Revelation 12, 9, it says, So that the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient, ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown to the earth and his angels with them. God has called us to be his, his soldiers in an occupied land. We're like the airborne. We've been dropped behind enemy lines. And we're to do battle from where we are. The world belongs to Satan and his people and his angels. There's a spiritual battle that we're in the midst of. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be on the alert. Your adversity, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he may devour. Now picture this in your mind. Get a picture of a lion. She, I say she because it's usually the lionesses that do the hunting, she doesn't play fair. She takes out the weak and the sick and those that don't have their guard up. The lion will, will circle the herd of wildebeest and look for the one that's, that's wounded or the one that's sick. Those are the ones they'll take, the weak ones, the ones that can't put up a defense. When it comes to spiritual warfare, where are you? Are you on the edge of the herd limping? Are you sick? Spiritually? Are you weak? You're the target. If so, you're the one the devil's going to go after. Doesn't play fair. 
He's looking for someone to devour, and he's going to devour those that are weak in their faith. Doesn't play fair. Ephesians 6, 12 said, For the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So what is temptation? Temptation is an attack by the enemy. It's spiritual warfare. We have to get ready and we have to be prepared because the flesh is weak, but God is stronger. Matthew says, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. So to fall under temptation, it's not allowed by God. It's not something that God wills for our lives. And it's not even something that can be forced upon us. Temptation has one vital prerequisite. Temptation cannot enter your life without your consent. You have to open the door and let temptation in. Because as a brother or sister in Christ, as a child of the Most High God, you have the power to resist temptation. So it's your choice. Temptation comes as a choice. It's the only way that God can, that, that Satan can hurt God. Satan wishes to destroy you and me. And why do you think he wants to do that? He's got a personal vendetta against Adam. He just doesn't like Adam. He wants to take Adam out. Why do you think that is? It's not Adam, particularly. The only way that, the, listen to this, the only way that the devil can hurt God is by hurting his child. It's the only leverage he's got. Satan can't take God on in a frontal, in, in a, in a, in a, a frontal confrontation and win, have any chance of success. The only leverage he's got is you and me. Because if he can hurt us, he can hurt God because God loves us. And everything you love, it's been said, holds you hostage. Because God chose to love us, he chose to give Satan an avenue of attack. If he can take us down, he's hurting God. We're the only pathway to the throne. So if he can hurt me or you, he can hurt God. But the power of God wins every time. Satan has no power when compared to God. Because God is the creator, and we, and even Satan, are the created. So how do we prevail against temptation? How do we win? How do we prevail against temptation? Well, I ask you this question. Do you want to win? Do you really want to win? Are you ready to go to war? Are you ready to do battle? Have you been trained? Have you been equipped? Okay, so we can stop right now and we can all go outside in the parking lot where we'll get out from under our sanctuary of God. And we're going to take, we're going to take Satan on single-handedly, right? You and me. I'm ready to go. Let's go. It's not quite that easy, is it? Okay, so are you ready to win? You ready to do battle? This is how you do it. The best way, now listen to this, the best way to defeat the enemy... Ready? 
I'm going to give you the cosmic secret. The best way to defeat the enemy is not to go into, not to go into battle in the first place. Oh. How do you win a war without fighting it? How do you win a war without fighting it? Remember that the, the key ingredient in temptation is you and your free will. The best way to defeat the, the Satan in this battle is not to enter into the battle in the first place. You have to let him in. He can't get in by himself. The key element to temptation is you. So the best way to defeat the enemy is not to fight in the first place. You have to put yourself into this battle. So how do you keep from fighting this battle? Well, first of all, you avoid situations that will place you in harm's way. It's been said that no man becomes base suddenly. What that means is you don't fall into sin. I'm walking with God today. I'm deep in sin tomorrow. It's a gradual, slippery slope. So you start out with something that seems perfectly innocent. Well, there's nothing wrong with looking at the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. They're, they're, those women are completely covered up. Okay, that's, that's fine. That's not really pornography because they can sell it on the newsstand, right? It's a slippery slope. Okay, the definition, you know how to define pornography? You know what the definition of pornography is? Nobody knows, but you'll recognize it when you see it. When does art stop and pornography start? So if you, you start out at the top of the slope, on the bunny slope, and you say, well, I can look at the scantily clad women in their bikinis. That's okay. That's not really lust. That's just enjoying the female form because, after all, God created it. So I should be able to look at it. Okay. Is that necessarily sin? No. Why is it not sin? It depends on the condition of your heart. If the condition of your heart is, oh, what a beautiful creation of God. I must appreciate this beautiful creation. Like a sunset. If your heart is there, it's not, it's not a problem. But if your heart is, whoa, baby. That's different. Same picture, different reaction. It's a slippery slope. The best way to avoid the temptation of pornography is not to start in the first place. Because pornography doesn't flash into your mind from space. You have to go get it. You have to look it up on the internet. You have to go buy the magazine behind the brown paper bag wrapper that's behind the counter. It's your choice to enter into the battle against that temptation, isn't it? What about drinking? Is it a sin to put alcohol in your mouth? Not necessarily. Is it a sin to become dependent on alcohol and it becomes your God and, and causes strife and, and division within the church, causes strife and division within your home, leads to alcoholism, drunk driving? Is that a sin? Yeah. So how do you avoid this condition? You don't start in the first place. How do you quit? The best way to quit smoking is never start smoking in the first place. So to win this battle against temptation, you need to be on guard for the things that may lead you into temptation. What does that include? I can't tell you. 
Your heart and the Holy Spirit will speak to you and tell you if this is wrong. Is it wrong for you to go to lunch with a, with a co-worker of the opposite sex? Not necessarily. But where do you think adultery starts? It starts with a cup of coffee. So am I saying that you can never be alone in a situation like in a car driving to the airport with a member of the opposite sex? No. But you have to be on guard. You have to understand that this is a slippery slope and you've got one foot on a banana. Because you're not above temptation. None of us are. So the best way to avoid this battle is not to get in, into the battle in the first place. You've got to have to guard yourself. You have to avoid situations that would potentially put you in harm's way. More importantly, especially you young people, you don't play with Satan. This isn't a joke, people. How many times have I seen young people wearing a t-shirt with a skull on it and a skateboard or something? Okay, let me ask you a question. Is that wrong? Is that wrong to have a skull and crossbones on your t-shirt? No. But think about it. Who's the leader? Who's the, who's the boss of death? Who's the king of death? Satan. Have you ever noticed when something dies, a living creature, a living plant? Think about an animal. An animal, when it's alive, is graceful, and it's beautiful, and it's full of, it's full of color, and you can see the breath of life in it. It's a beautiful thing, right? What's an animal look like five minutes after it's dead? It's ugly. Ugliness creeps in at the moment of death. Because why? Who's, who's the prince of death? Death is Satan's domain. Satan brought death into the world, right? So when you start talking about images of death, whose playground are you playing in? So when you start watching the vampire movies, teenage vampires, it's the greatest, it's the big rage. Well, right now the rage is zombies, but anyway. All of that is Satan's domain. We don't play with that. You stay out of that area. Anything to do with death and dying and the, and the undead rising from the grave and all that, that's Satan. Does it mean by watching the vampire trilogy that you're going to become a Satanist and, and, and turn into an evil human being and worship Satan and call him up from hell and all that? No. But it's a slippery slope. The best way to win temptation is not to enter into the battle in the first place. You don't play with Satan. It's not, he's not playing. He wants to kill you. And the promise of God's power, remember this, the promise of God's power, power give, God gives us the power over sin and death, but that promise does not give you license to flirt with sin. You don't have the right to say, well, I can dabble in this because I know God will forgive me. God will forgive you. But remember that judgment and rebuke that I was talking about? You may very well pay for that. God will forgive the sin, but you don't get to choose the consequences. And you don't get to choose the damage that it could do to you, your family, your friends, your church, and your Lord. So God's power doesn't give you the license to play with, play with sin. 
You've got to guard your mind, your heart, and your soul. You've got to recognize temptation and you have to flee from it. James 1.15 says, Then after, listen to, listen to this, after the desire was conceived. Who, who conceives the desire? You do. After the desire was conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. The key ingredient here, ladies and gentlemen, is you. After the desire was conceived, it gives birth to sin. And in Romans 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So how do we recognize sin? I'm going to give you three. You might want to write these down. I'm going to give you three elements, three indicators that what you're considering entering into may be sinful. First of all, does it bring instant gratification? Is this activity that you're considering, does it bring instant gratification? Are you going to get what you want right now? Think about sin. Think about what's, how, how, devil, how the devil manages sin. He takes you to a place and he says, if you'll just do this, I'll give you what you want right now. If you look at every sin, the good stuff comes first and the consequences come later, right? Instant gratification. I get what I want right now. I'm not worried about the consequences. I'm not worried about the fallout. I'm not worried about what's going to happen to my family, my church, my, my witness. I get what I want. I have this adulterous affair. It's great for a while, but guess what? Pretty soon the consequences come home to roost. You get what you want now. You get instant gratification. Contrast that with the Christian life. What did I say about the Christian life? It's going to be a bed of roses. Everything's going to be great and happy. No. It's a rough road. Where does your gratification come? Where is your reward? Is it here on earth? Possibly. But your real reward is in heaven. Your real reward is later. You're building up a storehouse in heaven with what you do here on earth. So look at the contrast between sin and righteousness. Sin gives you what you want right now and the consequences follow. Righteousness gives you consequences with a reward to follow if you fight the good fight and run the race. So if, you, if this is going to result in instant gratification, ask yourself a question. Secondly, does it fulfill a secret selfish desire? Who gains from what I'm thinking about doing? Is it just me? Is this something I've always wanted to do? has no benefit for anyone but my pride and my self-esteem. Does it fulfill a secret selfish desire? Is it something you could talk about in public? This thing that you'd like to do? Could you tell your mom about it at the dinner table? Mom, I want to play football. Oh, that's great, little Johnny. Let's play football. Why do you want to play football? Well, I just think it'd be a lot of fun. I could learn. I could be part of a team. Mom, I want to get involved in pornography, okay? Pass the potatoes. 
Probably not. And then you need to ask the third question. Who will be hurt by this? Who will be hurt by this activity that I'm considering moving into? It could just be you. But I don't believe there's, there is such a thing as a victimless crime. They say that prostitution or gambling or whatever is victimless. No, it's not. You may pay a heavy price for what you're doing. But guess what? If you take a good close look at every, nearly every sinful activity, and I'm going to go out as far as to say every sinful activity, if you look deep enough, you will find innocent, wounded victims that had nothing to do with the activity that you're engaging in. If you get involved in this sin, it's going to come home to roost on you, but it may affect your wife, your, your husband, your children, your parents. It may affect your church. It may affect your church members. It may be somebody in this church that sees you stumble and causes them to fall. You have to realize that your influence carries weight. And your influence spreads out from you like the wake of a ship. And it goes places that you may never even go. You're affecting people every day with your witness. You know, you can build that witness up for good. And you can be the shining light in that lamp on a hill that city on the hill, the lamp on the lampstand. You can be the lighthouse that's leading people to Christ, or you can be leading people straight to hell, and it all depends on your witness. So think about that. If I enter into this activity, who's going to pay the price for it? Because someone is. It might be your wife and kids. It might be your grandchildren. You may lose a job because of your sinful activity, which destroys the, your, your well-being of your family, and you lose your home, and you lose the college education that your children would have gotten had you not. It affects more than you. The things you do aren't limited to just you. No man is an island. We don't operate in a vacuum. So think about it. Is this going to damage more than me? Well, I can take it. Can your kids take it? Can your wife or your husband take it? Who's going to be hurt by it? Instant gratification? Does it fulfill a secret desire? And who am I damaging? Ask yourself those questions. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. Even if we follow these, these rules, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. Why? Because sin is a hereditary disease that only has one cure. I really want to walk. So how do we win? We don't go into battle unarmed. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God, including what? An offensive weapon. What's the offensive weapon? The sword of the Spirit. Now, he didn't call it the crossbow of the Spirit. He didn't call it, he called it the, the howitzer of the Spirit that can be handled at long range. He called it the sword of the Spirit. When you go to battle with a sword, you have to be right up front. You have to be smell the enemy's breath. You go to battle with the sword of the scripture. Jesus, in the scripture we read, did not defeat the devil with his personal power, his charisma, or a horde of angels backing him up, or his own intellect and his apologetics. No, he used the one weapon that's available to all of us. He used the weapon of the word. You've got to be in the scripture. You've got to have the scripture in you, or you're going to fail. We don't go into battle alone. 
We, have, we should take Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the mighty word of God along with us when we go into battle against temptation. And we need to bathe our lives in prayer. Because we have a secret weapon. In Matthew 4, 1, it says, When Jesus returned from the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was led into the wilderness for why? For what reason? In the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in obedience to his call. There's two vital ingredients in our success as Christ followers against sin and temptation. Three of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, tell us this story. But Luke goes into the most detail. That's why I chose Luke. But why did Jesus do this? I mean, he, he, went, he had himself, he was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days of fasting. And then a confrontation with the devil himself. Why did he do that? Was it necessary? I mean, he's, he's God. Did he really have to do that? Why do you think he did that? Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 4 says, For we do not have a high, spirit or high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. In Hebrews 2, it says, For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. See, Jesus is our secret weapon. He's been there. He's been tempted like us. So when we go to God and we, we pray about our temptation, we're not praying to... A, a, the ultimate being who's never faced temptation. We're praying to a man who faced temptation just like the rest of us. He knows what temptation is like. He knows our... How's the best way to counsel, counsel somebody that comes to you with a problem? Well, if you've been through the problem yourself, you can speak into it. I can't counsel you on how to survive cancer, having, by the grace of God, never had cancer. There are people in this room that could. Our high priest has been there. He knows what temptation is like. So when we pray for victory over temptation, he understands exactly what we're talking about. He suffered like us. He knows the pain and the stress and the tears of this life. And he knows the agony of death. He speaks for us having fully experienced what it means to be us. He really is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the light of the world and the darkness has to flee from it. Temptation leads to sin and sin to death. But Jesus gives us the cure for temptation because he himself has conquered sin and is a victor over death. So putting here trust in him makes you victorious. Because our general knows how to fight this battle. So do you want victory over temptation? Really? Do you? I've got a free gift for you, and all you need to do is take it. So what do we take from this? Every sermon has to close with a takeaway. What do we take away from this? I exhort you to examine yourself and your attitudes. I ask you to be alert. Recognize temptation for what it is and attack by the enemy on your soul. 
Wrap yourself in the armor of God. Study the scripture and pray for victory over sin. Place your trust in the one who has been there before you, Jesus Christ. Peter said, be sober, be on the alert. Your adversity of the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. Now the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. Examine your attitudes, be alert, but more importantly, wrap yourselves in the armor of God. That's how you win over temptation. So as we go out from here, and you're facing the world, and its inherent temptations, what do you do? You wrap yourself in prayer. You fill yourself with the Spirit. Fill yourself with the Scripture. And you take your concerns, you take your trials, you take your struggles to the God that's been there. And pray for his power. Pastor John says this all the time. You and God are a majority. You and God cannot lose. You can't lose the battle against temptation if you bring along your secret weapon, Jesus Christ himself. Romans 16.20 says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord, all of us are prone to temptation. There's not a man or woman or child among us who isn't tempted. Daily, many times a day. Because the enemy is waiting to destroy us. And we know that the only way that the enemy can get to you is through us. We are the only weapon he has to hurt you, God. Because you chose to love us, you hurt when we hurt. And if he can hurt us, he can hurt you. So we ask, Lord, that you give us your strength and your power and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with a desire to study the word and become more like your son so that we can resist these temptations that are bound to come our way. Only you, Lord, only your power can defeat the devil. But before we can be victorious, we have to know you and we have to trust in you. So, Lord, I'm asking that you fill the hearts and the souls of all that are here with your power, that you give us the grace that only you can, that you build us up to be more like you as we take the word into our hearts that it grows to a powerful weapon to the, to the sword of the spirit which we can do battle with Satan that's what it takes to be victorious we know the ultimate victory is yours and we are but your foot soldiers let us be part of that triumphant army that finally defeats Satan and locks him away forever we can only do that with your power your grace. Be with all that hear these words. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, so to fight this battle, you can't fight this battle alone. You have to have Jesus Christ in your life to be effective. You have to have God in your life to give you the power to overcome sin and temptation. 
You have to be strong and willing to fight. The will to fight this battle only comes from your position in Christ. So if you're not there, if you don't have that power, today is the day to do business. Because the lion is outside that door. And the lion will devour you if you're not prepared. So if today is the day that you need to, to accept Jesus Christ in your heart, I pray that today you would do that. You can come down to the altar and, 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 and I will pray with you. You can pray right where you are. If the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart and calling you to accept this free gift, I pray that today is the day you do that. That you pray something like this, Lord, I understand who I am in you. I understand that I'm a lost sinner in need of a Savior. And I ask you to be that Savior, to change my life from the inside out and be my God. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. In his name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.